So tonight we are verse by verse in chapter 2 of Deuteronomy. And as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 2, it's Moses in his final month addressing the nation of Israel. And everyone that's there now, except for uh, Joshua and Caleb, uh, everyone is was un, uh, under the age of 20 from 38 years ago with the Kadesh Barina incident where the, where the people failed to enter in. So everyone over 20, God uh, gave them over to their unbelief, and none of them are going into the promised land, but everyone that was under 20 is going into the promised land, and they're there, and they're on the east side of the Jordan River. They're looking at Jericho and the promised land, and as Moses is going to expound on God's law that he gave to them back in Exodus and Leviticus and whatnot, he begins this book, because Deuteronomy means the second law. Well, it's not really the second law, but it's the explanation of the law. And in his last month of his life, Moses is giving this sermon, a series of sermons on God's law, the Ten Commandments and the religious law and the civil law for a nation. And he's expounding on it and expanding on it. And that's what we're going to get. It's going to be wonderful going through this book. But in these first four chapters, he's reviewing God's faithfulness to them, beginning at Mount Sinai where they made the covenant. Not when they came out of Egypt, but when they made the covenant. And so we saw last week where, or two, two weeks ago, where the whole process began where they had gone to Kadesh Barina and they'd failed to go in. And so we, we pick it up from that narrative where he says in chapter 2, verse 1, after the failure at Kadesh Barina. So remember, Kadesh Barina was two years into the 40 years. So two years into the 40 years, and now it's going to be 38 years of wandering in the wilderness, and we pick that up in verse 1. Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me. And we skirted Mount Seir, which is a mountain range, for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward. And command the people, saying, You are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. And they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourself carefully. Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as one footstep, because I've given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall buy food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have lacked nothing. And when we pass beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau, who dwell in Seir, away from the road, the plain, away from Elath and Ezion Geber, we turn and pass by where the wilderness of Moab. And then the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as possession, because I've given our to the descendants of Lot as a possession." So in this introduction here in chapter 2, Moses is recounting the first couple of verses represents about 36 years of history. And it's reviewed this way. You've skirted this area many days, and we've, the Lord says you've skirted this mountain long enough. Mount Seir is a mountain range near um, there in the Sinai Peninsula, and it, it's a range that goes below the Dead Sea. So if you know your map of Israel, you have the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, Judean wilderness. It's down here farther, and it's a mountain range, and it's very barren. And there they were for essentially 36 years. So the first two years they came out of Egypt to Sinai, failed to enter at Kadesh Barina. Now there's, that's two years gone by. So now it's 38 years in the wilderness. And of that 38 years, about 36 were spent in the shadows of the mountain range known as Mount Seir before they got on the, the move again, went by Edom, went to the east side of the Jordan River, conquered Sihon and Og, which we'll get to in a moment. So we begin tonight with what we talked about Saturday night, how for 36 years they skirted 
Mount Seir, this mountain range. It'd be kind of like being at the, sort of going between Mount Baldy and Mount San Jacinto, just kind of going back and forth, back and forth without the 10 and the 60 there and all the people, right? Just kind of shuffling this way, shuffling that way, shuffling back this way. Oh, look, Joshua tree, you know, shuffle back this way. And they just skirted it. In fact, the old King James says they compassed. And when you research this word, and I don't do that too often, but this word is very important, is that this word can mean to be uh, up against or to encircle, to surround in a circle, or to go in a circle. And that's why you'll find in many commentaries about this event that people say they literally went in circles. We saw back in Numbers how they had their 41 stops reviewed for us in those last two chapters of Numbers where the different places they went. And it's just like a connect the dot thing. They essentially were there for 38 years. And we're told that during that 38 years, in a sense, they were, or the 36 years, they were, the younger generation, everyone under 20, was waiting for everyone over 20 to pass away. Like they were on hold. They didn't enter in to the promised land when they had the chance, and now everyone's affected. So it's literally a death march, skirting, going in circles for those 36 years. But eventually they did pass away. And in the fullness of time, like God always does, right on time in his timing, working through events and free will and his sovereignty working together, it's time for them to move. But they skirted that mountain long enough. It's just a reminder to us to not go in circles. And this has really been speaking to me. And as we think about what we've been through in the last year with COVID and today being the 16th, and just today I was at a funeral down in Carlsbad and we were talking about, I was talking with my high school friends about when you say March 13th, 2020, almost everyone remembers it. It's really easy to remember because it was a good, it was a Friday. So it was a Friday the 13th. So COVID, in my mind, is always going to be Friday the 13th because we moved my dad up that day from his one facility to the new facility up here in Huntington Beach. And Tim's like, do we have to move him on Friday the 13th? I go, if we don't move him on Friday the 13th, we're not moving him indefinitely. And if we try to move him Saturday the 14th, we couldn't have moved him. So literally, I'll always remember it. But that's when the governor made his decree. That's when all the food, when Trader Joe's closed on the Thursday the 12th because they were out of food. And all that was happening. So it's been like a year, a year now, right? Because it's the 16th. So we really are on the anniversary of when we, we were impacted so profoundly how it was coming. And then all of a sudden, that first week of March, it was rolling. And then, man, and that Saturday service, the 14th here with Jack McEwen lead us in worship and communion. We've had 1,500 services here. I'll always remember that one. That's one I will never, ever forget. It was such a special night for all of us here. And if you were here, you remember that. So as we think about the last year, and this is what I share with my friends today, we don't want to be the same people we were a year ago. And we're not, we don't want to use the phrase we're going back to normal because we're never going back to what was. Whatever our future holds, it's settling into something, but it's not what we knew. And, and that's, that's just not going to change. Like the, our world is completely, profoundly, radically changed. And as we have had this year, it's been a, a wonderful year for the Lord to kind of shake us up. I was speaking with my friends in Indianapolis today, good friends in the Calvary Chapel movement, friends I've labored with in ministry for over three decades, good friends of the Jeremy Camp and his family. And they all remember Jeremy Camp when he was a little kid and stuff as he grew up there at that Calvary Chapel in West Lafayette, Indiana. And we were talking about all the things that the Lord's done. And 
And we agreed, and they shared the same thing with me, that horizon there in Indianapolis. They shared with me the same thing that I've heard time and time again, whether I'm talking to Joe Henschel about Calvary Chapel Vista or Poncho's church up there in L.A., is that the church that we are now today is not the church we were a year ago. There are many people who were here a year ago who are not here now. And it could be people that you really loved, and they're just not—they didn't come back. And there's people that were maybe difficult, and they didn't come back. And you could ask any pastor in a private conversation, well, a year later, who did you think was going to leave, and did they leave? Well, yeah, we kind of called that one. But then there's always like, I can't believe those people that don't—you write a card, you write a letter, you still don't hear anything back. You just don't know. The last year's been crazy. And one thing that, as I talk to people of faith, is that we've seen—I elaborate this on Saturday night—we've seen— where people just are gone, and they may never come back, they might come back. Only the Lord knows. But we're always focused on who is here, like all of us tonight. And God has brought new people, and there's been so many new faces here, and it's wonderful to have new people coming out here and seeing God doing a fresh work and seeing new faces, and it's very exciting to me. And as we think about scooting Mount Seir or going in circles, we're not going in circles on March 16th. No, we're not going in circles. We're headed northward. We're, we're going in a very deliberate direction with the Lord, and I'm very excited to think about what the Lord might want to do this year. And as we've already supported people going out in the mission field this year, as even as Jennifer went to Martania, and we got Bobby Brown headed for Dominican Republic next month, and we're, you know, we're sowing, we're going, we're praying, and we're excited. We already sent a, uh, we've sent 50 Russian teenagers to Sochi to go do ministry, have a youth camp, be built up, and then go out and share their faith in uh, Abzakaya. Isn't that cool? That's what we've already done this year. We're not going in circles. Don't go in circles. Now, if you're here Tuesday night, you're probably not going in circles. But as I think about scooting Mount Seir, I think I just cannot be the same person in personal character that I was a year ago. I have to grow. I, I cannot be defensive about petty things. Just today, again, shares one of my good friends in Carlsbad. I just said, he brought up something, and we were at a funeral together six months ago in Carlsbad, and we discussed some things that were upsetting us in our country. And uh, he brought up, I said, you know, those things don't upset me anymore. I'm just not upset about that stuff. I've just arrived at this place where I cannot change any of that. I can pray. Uh, we did pray. I can't change any of this. Apart from praying, Mine is the Great Commission, and I just determined I'm not going to let these things upset me. And you know what? They don't. And I feel really good today. I mean, I'm emotional at this service for different reasons because it's reminding me of my mom's passing, but my good friend's mom's passing is reminding me of my mom's passing a year ago, but I'm good. See, we can't be going in circles. So yet again, we're reminded, do not go in circles. We can't have the same problems in our marriage in 2021 that we had in 2020. We can't have the same problems with personal purity in 2021 that we had in 2020. We just can't. We can't be, we can't be as callous this year as we were last year on certain things about certain people in certain circumstances. We just can't. We have to be humbled by our failures. We have to be humbled by our sin. We have to be humbled by our humanity. And we need to be gracious and merciful and loving and compassionate toward all the people around us, even if they want to burn us at the stake. That's who we have to be. We cannot go in circles. 
in our moral compass, in our vision for the kingdom, and our role in the body of Christ. We have to have fresh vision, and we got to get going northward. We cannot go in circles. I don't want to have the same conversations with the Lord this year that I had last year about being in the principal's office or something. You ever get in trouble in school? And like, I always got in trouble in school. And it seemed like when I was in the principal's office, it was the same thing. Mr. Baran, I know you're getting suspended for fighting again. <laughs> no, but I wasn't fighting. I threw him back into the guy that was fighting. It was free entertainment at lunchtime, but still you're part of the fight. See, we can't have that with the Lord. We just can't. So let's just purpose, and I speak for myself and all of us, Let's not go in circles because we're not the generation perishing in the wilderness. We're the generation moving toward the promised land and going after all that God has for us with what he wants to do with us in 2021. What a year. We just cannot come through the year of Sihon and Og, COVID-19, and not be better, sharper, crisper in the things of the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Right. Okay, so no going in circles. Let's, let's, Scout's honor. Right? Let's, let's not go in circles in 2021. Let's, like, you go like this and you got to slingshot it, right? Like, we got, we got to go forward. Now, another thing that stands out to me in this passage, I almost taught it as the whole message on Saturday. In fact, I didn't even touch on it on Saturday, but we have to look at it, is verse 7. What a wonderful verse. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you've lacked nothing. What a great passage that is. It says, God has blessed you, and God is a blessing God. And they've got battles, and we've talked about this, but in the battles, there's blessings. And the men, the, the men in leadership that were at the conference up at Downey, we remember Gerald Hagerman's message, right? That there's, there's a battle, but the blessings, there's blessings in the battle. And they fought a lot of battles, but God blessed them in their way. And so God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. God has blessed us. He's blessed you. More than we know, we need to submit that right now. As much as we had thanked the Lord and think how much he has blessed us and how much he's used us, he's blessed you and he's blessed me and he's used us more than we even know. We, we just don't know how much God has blessed us, but our God is a blessing God and he has blessed us. And the more that the works of our hands are aligned with his will and his word and his character, that's all the more he can bless us too. So again, 2021, I want my hands to be at work for the kingdom so he can bless me that much more. But also, he says, he knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. Life has many different seasons, and there are seasons that are hard. There are seasons that refine us. There are seasons that are trials. There are seasons that are dry. There are seasons that are arduous and difficult and challenging. They stretch us. Luis Palau passed away. Most of you know the famous evangelist from Latin America, the Argentinian. He passed away. Last week, good friends with Billy Graham and Franklin Graham. And I saw a quote from him that got my attention. Actually, it's said that he actually pre- he's preached the gospel to more people in human history than anyone else. And that's, there's, a, there's a strong position for that, too. But he said something about how hard life was that got my attention. And he said, in all the difficulties and the trials and the tribulations he faced, and you can only imagine as an evangelist, in Latin America, what he came up against for 50, 60 years. But he said he never, he learned not to pray for deliverance from the beatings, but just to be strengthened to press on through the beatings. 
And that really got my attention because, again, that's the blessings in the battle. And so the Lord knows our trudging. He knows our heartache. He knows the heaviness. He knows the injustices, how we've let go of things and just different things that we've said, all right. I saw something that really got my attention today. Uh, Tyron Taylor, the quarterback for the Rams, uh, excuse me, the Chargers, Los Angeles Chargers, he's their backup. And you might not remember this, but at the beginning of the season, he was their starter. He's been in the NFL for eight years. Good career, and he, he was the starter. And before the second game, he had like a rib injury, and they gave him a shot, and they accidentally punctured his lung. He's been a backup almost most of his career, and he's a really good quarterback, and he punctured his lungs. The uh, medical staff of the Chargers punctured his lungs, and so he wasn't able to start. And then, of course, you know, Oh, what's his name, Herbert, whatever, he started, he was Rookie of the Year, and Tyron Taylor came back from six weeks of recovering from the puncture gone, and he never started again. And I, I saw today that uh, he was traded, or he was a free agent, and uh, he went elsewhere. But something that he said got my attention that spoke to me. It said he chose not to file a grievance against the Los Angeles Chargers. Do you know what kind of character that takes? I mean, I, I, I don't know if he's a Christian. I think he is. He's a really good guy. I've, I've seen some stuff on him before, but it says he chose not to file a grievance against the Los Angeles Chargers. It was negligence. They punctured his lungs, and he didn't get to start. It lowered his value as a potential free agent this year to prove he could be a starter. And he chose not to file a grievance against the Los Angeles Chargers. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a man of character. And that's someone who looks at the setbacks as opportunities. And that's how we got to be. Because the Lord knows our trudging in this wilderness. And the more, when you have things like that happen, and you can let them go, those things become equity with God. You, you give yourself eternal wealth when you can let those things go. And I thought, you know, I wonder how many people counsel them, like a lawyer or family, friends, like, go after it. Get your money. They owe you millions for what they did. We can prove it that you would have been a starter. You Who's got time for that? I came from a funeral today. Who's got time for that? But that's what some people do. All they do is fight, 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 fight. This grievance, that grievance. I'm going to get even. No one takes this from me. You know what? I, I, just, I tip my hat to Tyrone. I was like, good for you. I was like, good for you. That's, that takes someone with a bigger picture than petty things. And that's not a petty thing to have the staff at the Los Angeles Chargers puncture your lung and keep you from being a starter and lose your starting position in the NFL. The Lord sees our trudging. We all have injustices. We all have things go wrong. We all have bosses that aren't fair. We all have neighbors that maybe we wish weren't our neighbors. Okay? The Lord sees the trudging. And he's been with you in your journey, and you have lacked nothing. In the end, for a people of faith, people are born again through faith in Jesus Christ. Because this is black and white version for the Old Testament. For us in Christ, it's just the fullness this is the rose bush with thorns on it unopened. We get the fullness of those, those like pink roses that smell really good when you walk by the neighbor's yard and you actually stop and you smell them. Please tell me you stop and smell the roses. Yeah, of course you do. I do. I taught Clementine to do the same thing. Clementine doesn't walk by flowers. She always points at them. She wants to smell them. The New Testament is like that open rose with the fragrance and the beauty. 
So what applied to them, how much more does it apply to us in Jesus Christ? The Lord knows our trudging. He has blessed the work of our hands and he has been with us in the whole way. He's been with us in the whole way. And you go over the last year, has not God been faithful to his church during COVID? Has he not been faithful to the people who acknowledge him and kept them first in all things? I mean, for people of faith, our faith just gets stronger. The wealth on the planet, it doesn't change in quantity. It just gets redistributed. It's all the Lord's. He can give it to you. He can give it to your neighbor. It all, lawyers might take it for a while. Governments might take it for a while. But all the wealth of the planet belongs to the Lord. And he knows how to, when he wants to give an advance on the estate, he'll give you an advance on the estate. If he wants to give it all to you in eternity, he'll give it all to you in eternity. But he's, you've lacked nothing. And I think we can look around this room and we can be honest with ourselves Certainly in our country, in our circumstances, in our lives, God has been good to us, and we have lacked nothing. He's met our needs. And if there's a lack, let, it bring it to, let us bring it to our knees, and let us grow deeper in spiritual wealth if we're lacking in temporary wealth. Because that's what Paul said with Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've learned to abase, and I've learned to abound. And I've learned that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And my God is able to supply all of our needs, all your needs, according to his riches and glory. So it's never about like if there's this much wealth or that much wealth. It's what is God teaching us with whatever there is and knowing that we've not lacked any good thing. I think when we step into eternity, we're going to realize, well, I can't even imagine how glorious it's going to be, right? Just to think on that moment. Because again, I was at a funeral today, so I'm thinking about these things today. But just the glory. And as I turned 60 this weekend... My friend and I are all talking about, we're, t- we're all turning 60 this year. I'm like leading the way. Well, Joey, you always were the leader. You're leading the way. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm leading the way. I came out at Memorial and I thought, you know, that's it for the parents. Like, we're, we're, we're on deck, right? Like, the parents are all stepped into eternity. And now, and I'm on this funeral, I think, well, that's Tony's mom. And my mom's gone. Like, we're, well, we're next. We're all going to be going to each other's memorials in the next 20 years. That's what I thought. And I thought, well, I shouldn't say anything like that after the service. And sure enough, I'm out front. So like, hey, you know what I thought? I thought, we're next. I thought, me too. That's <laughs> what so baby boomers think when they're memorials for one another's parents. And I was thinking, like, God has done so much more for me than I even am aware of and able to thank him for. Because, of course, being reflective, moving towards 60, toward the fourth quarter, if you will. And it's so much more than I can ever think of. Isn't God good? Hasn't he been with us in the whole way? He sees it all. He's got it all. He's been with us in this whole way. We've lacked nothing. We'll we'll never lack what we need. Now, we read on in verse 10 about the land uh, of just these these giants. It's like now it's all about giants. And Joe had us singing about giants earlier. And uh, we read in verse 10 now, after God told them not to mess with Moab because they're descendants of Lot. And so this is that last two years of the wilderness wandering to get them to the east side of the Jordan River. We read this. The MM have dwelt there in times past, the people as great and numerous and as tall as the Anakim. They were also regarded as giants, like the Anakim. So here we have the MM and the Anakim. These are giants, but different descendants of giants, different lines of giants. But the Moabites called them Emon, and the Horites formerly dwelt in Seir, but the descendants of Esau dispossessed them, destroyed them from before them, and dwelt in their place, just as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave them. Now rise and cross over the valley of Zered. So we crossed over the valley of Zered, 
and the time we took to come from Cadiz Breen until we crossed over the Valley of Zarek was 38 years. Until all the generation of men of war, that was that first census of everyone over 20, until all the generation of the men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp, just as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. So it was when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people that the Lord spoke to me, saying, This day you are to cross over at Ar, the boundary of Moab, and when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. That was also regarded as a land of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there, but the Ammonites called them Zamzumimim, a people as great and numerous and as tall as the Anakim. But the Lord destroyed them before them, and they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place, just as he had done to the, for the descendants of Esau, who dwelt in Seir, when he destroyed the Horites from before them. They dispossessed them and dwelt in their land, even to this day. And the Avim, who dwelt in the villages as far as Gaza, the Kaftorim, who came from Kaftor, destroyed them and dwelt in their place. Rise, take your journey, and cross over the river Arnon, Look, I have given it to your hand. Sihon, the Amorite king of Heshbon, his land, begin to possess it and engage him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven, and you shall hear the, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. Well, this is all about the giants. We talked a little bit about this Saturday. Why giants? It's a land of giants. As if the Middle East isn't hard enough even this day. Right? I mean, the Middle East is the, the, you know, the fertile crescent of the dawn of humanity. The Garden of Eden is probably in Iraq originally. It's just, it's such a different world over there. And these are giants. These are tall people. Now, we'll see in the next chapter that uh, Og's bed frame was 13 feet. 13 feet. So nine, it's the nine uh, cubits, which is, a cubit's generally considered 18 inches, so it's 13 feet. 13 feet is really tall. So that's Shaquille O'Neal at seven foot, and we'll put a six-footer on top of him. That's a, that's a, that's a giant. These are real people. There's in the DNA, like we talked about this again Saturday, like elephants were bigger, they're mammoths. Lions are bigger, saber-toothed tigers. <laughs> and in the DNA, you can still have, you know, Clydesdales and little Shetland ponies, right? Like, it's, it's all there in the DNA. We covered this in Genesis a bit. These, these are big, terrifying people. And remember, these giants were so terrifying, and their walls so high and terrifying, that's why the ten spies gave a bad report. They were terrified of the giants. But we cannot go forward unless we're willing to battle the giants. Because in going forward, God wants us to know it's not about us, but it's about him. And the battle truly belongs to the Lord. And even as David had to take on Goliath, we all have to take on our giants. Even amongst David's mighty men, there are men who fought giants. Literally fought giants. I'm glad we don't have to fight giants that way. But there's giants. The giant is pretty much anything that appears to be superior to you. Or perhaps life-threatening to you. Or so in your way that you just don't even want to confront it or deal with it or have to regard it. Again, we, we have a Danny Donnelly, our worship leader, his, his father has terminal cancer right now. And that's his giant. You have to face that giant. And how are you going to face that giant? 
And what kind of faith is going to emerge from that battle? I think of Pastor Chuck, how he passed away to lung cancer and how he faced his giant. All those people that tried to destroy Pastor Chuck, all those people that protested in front of the church, all the people that screamed and yelled at him, you know, and came against him and all the stuff that ever... I mean, Pastor Chuck had a swirling hurricane around him most of the time. When I was on staff, I can't even tell you, like these, these facts would come in, they're like these weird messages against Pastor Chuck and demented people led by the devil trying to discourage Pastor Chuck on a daily basis. And all the stuff that would go on. And when, when I, the one time I told the congregation during announcements at first service that Pastor Chuck was going to be gone, please pray for him, he called me in his office and he said, don't, don't tell them that. I said, oh, I just want people to pray for him. He goes, no, the, the, the crazies come out. And, and Kay doesn't like the crazies. That's exactly what he said. I'm like, okay, I gotcha. And let me tell you, they do. <laughs> Always. And yet, down the stretch, here's a guy that never smoked in his life, and he's got lung cancer, and he's gasping for air. The biggest giant Pastor Chuck ever faced was one you couldn't even see with the naked eye. So we have to face our giants. And... In the same breath, we also saw what I talked about Saturday, is that they were never to mess with the Edomites or the Moabites. So we, we got to know what we're not called to do. We're not called to meddle in other people's stuff. We need to respect other people. Mind our own business, let it go. Instead of worrying about what everyone else is doing, take a good look in the mirror and look up and ask what the Lord wants to do in our life. Like I said to my friends say at the funeral, you know what? I can't control any of that. What I can control is what kind of attitude I have in the morning and what I, how I carry myself and interact with other people that I can control. So don't worry about the Edomites and the Moabites, but the giants, yes. But those giants are there to test our faith. The unknown is a great giant when you don't know what the future holds and you're trusting in the Lord and how we're going to do this and how this is going to work out. Many of you know that unknown feels like, oh, how are we going to do this? And how is this going to happen? And oh, my goodness. And, but the battle is the Lord's. And, and God wants to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. And he, he searches the earth. His eyes go to and fro over the face of the earth. And Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross and rise from the grave to leave, leave us trembling before the giants that we'll face in our lifetime. We got, we got to go face those giants. I, I share with one of my surfing buddies today. He did the reading at the memorial. He was asked last night to do the reading. He was terrified. He was terrified. It was Ecclesiastes, the time and purpose for everything. And uh, he was terrified. And I said, oh, that's nothing. I go, you know, the first funeral I ever did, I can't even tell you how scared I was, Tommy. I was, I was on staff at Vista, and it was a memorial for someone I didn't know. It was an elderly person, and there was about 10 people there. And I said, I, I, I couldn't even sleep the night before. I, I, oh, man. And I said, and then I did a wedding one time for a, an E-9, the highest enlisted rank you can have in the Navy. And there was hundreds of people and his daddy's little girl getting married. And all these navies. this is in Norfolk, right? This is the Atlantic fleet. These guys are all in their whites, and they're just like so sharp and crisp. It was like, so everything sparkled. And I was just like, oh, don't blow it. Oh, don't blow it. Oh, don't blow it. Son of a Marine. Jeez, please don't blow it. Oh. And, and, and I remember walking, like when you're getting ready to come out with the wedding party, I was so nervous. I was like, 
I wanted to, you ever get a situation where it's like, I gotta run? I just, I can't do it. I gotta run. I just gotta run. Like, I, I, I had this like pa- panic attack. I, I gotta run. It was, a, it was like an Anglican church, and it wasn't like a home game, it was a road game, you know? And I was just like, and I just, when I saw all the guys in their whites and, and just all the stuff, I was like, and you know what I thought of? It's this true story I gotta tell you. I thought of the pipe masters. Because the pipe masters, when you paddle out in the pipeline masters, it's the biggest event of the year in pro surfing. It's like the masters in golf. You got to drain this putt six feet for the win. Like, it's like that. But Augusta's not trying to kill you. Pipeline is trying to kill you. So when you paddle out a pipeline for your heat, you paddle out and you get in the channel and you're like, you see the guys. It's never, it's never about you and Tom Carroll. It's about you and that wave that's 20 feet that wants to kill you. So that's what makes it a very unique surf contest. So you're all there, you look at each other, especially when it's big. It's like, hey, what's up, Tommy? You know, you get the big boards, you're like, all year we waited for this. You paddle out, and you get in this little channel, and you're sitting in the channel, and you're like, so kind of, like, you can be as close as Sam and Riley and those guys are there, but you're sitting in the channel, and you're the next heat. So you're there, you're, you're on deck, and I mean, it's like, the waves are as big as this building. So you're like right here, but in the channel, the water's deeper, so it's not breaking right there. You paddle across into the lineup, so you're looking at guys just like, take off and just get hammered, or, or just get, like, out of this big barrel, just like going, like it's intense and it's so nerve-wracking some people just they do a pipe masters they go home and they quit surfing it's it's just it's not for everybody and so this has been my trick in ministry for 33 years whenever i'm super nervous i just think it's pipe masters man get it together i'm in the channel it's 20 foot pipe get the jersey on paddle over and take off just drop in just paddle over get the first good wave you see that's all you got to do. So I just tricked myself. Just so if you're wondering how I do things like weddings for 400 people and guys in their whites and stuff, that's what I do. And I told Tommy, I just said, I told Tommy there, because they all know me as a surfer. I go, Tommy, listen, you know, this is what I've been doing for 33 years. He goes, I couldn't even sleep last night because I'm going to read the scriptures in, in the Catholic church. I'm like, I'd be scared too. <laughs> I'd be sober. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, and, but it's like, but that was good for Tommy. He goes, I felt religious. I go, hey, good, good. You, you should feel religious when you're reading Ecclesiastes at a memorial at St. Patrick's. Good for you. And I just related said, this has been my life for 33 years, Tommy, getting up and doing funerals, doing weddings, and I just, I just go for it. To all things, all men. So I used the surf story with Tommy. He loved it. It was great. But it's true. So we got to face our giants. Don't be afraid of the giants. You got to face them, and you got to get after them. Because those giants from the Lord, that's the way forward with the Lord. That's the way forward. Like, God's will has giants in the road. And like I said Saturday night, like, why can't we just face somebody that's really short and easy and soft? Why do they got to face guys that have bed frames that are 13 feet? Because God wants us to know it's not us. And time and time again, he's going to say, you didn't do this, I did this. And we need to know that. So we read on to King Sihon, verse 26. And I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth to Sihon, king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, Let me pass through your land. I will keep strictly to the road, and I will turn neither to the right nor to the left. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat, and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through 
on foot, just as the descendants of Esau, who dwelt in Syria, and the Moabites, who dwelt in Ar, did for me. Until I crossed the Jordan to the land which the Lord our God has given us. He's basically saying, I don't want any trouble. Can we just buy food? There's not a problem here. But Sihon, verse 30, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass through. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate, that he might deliver him into your hand as it is to this day. And the Lord said to me, see, I've begun to give Sihon and his land over to you. Begin to possess it, that you may inherit his land. Then Sihon and all of his people came out against us to fight in Jahaz. And the Lord our God delivered him over to us. So we defeated him, his sons, and all of his people. We took all of the cities at that time. We utterly destroyed the men, the women, the little ones. Every city, we let none remaining. We took only the livestock as plunder for ourselves with the spoil of the cities which we took. From Arar, which is the bank of the river Arnon, and from the city that is in the ravine as far as Gilead. There was not one city too strong for us. The Lord our God delivered all to us. Only you did not go near the land of the people, the Ammon, anywhere along the river Jabbok or the cities of the mountains or wherever the Lord God had forbidden us. Chapter 3. Then we turned and went up the road to Bashan, and all king of Bashan came out against us, he and all of his people, to do battle at Edrel. And the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all of his people in his land into your hand. You shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon. So the Lord our God also delivered into our hands Og, king of Bashan, with all of his people. And we attacked him until he had no survivors remaining. And we took all of his cities at that time. And there was not a city which did not take from them. Sixty cities, all the regions of Argob, the kingdom of Og and Bashan. All these cities were fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, besides a great many rural towns. And we utterly destroyed them. As we did to Sihon, king of Heshbon, utterly destroyed the men, the women, the children of every city. But all the livestock and the spoil of the cities, we took his booty for ourselves. And at that time, we took the land from the hand of the two kings of the Amorites who were on this side of the Jordan, from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon. The Sidonians call Hermon Siron, and the Amorites call it Sinir. All the cities of the plain, all Gilead and all Bashan, as far as Saka, Adri, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants, Indeed, his bed steed was an iron bed steed. Is it not in Reba of the people of Ammon, nine cubits its length, four cubits its width, according to the standard of a cubit? So here's the battles that they fought. We studied this in detail in Numbers. Total victory over Sihon and Og. Absolute destruction of everybody. And again, it's not Israel judging people. It's God judging people. God is judging people. It's not Israel judging people. It's Israel obeying God. And it's a unique situation in the book of Joshua. You know, we would cover this in great detail, but God can judge who he wants. He judged the world with the flood. He judged Sodom and Gomorrah, and he judged these people. And he's the maker of the universe. And if he says they're done, they're done. And so we need to respect God's judgment. And as we come to the book of Deuteronomy, as I mentioned, quoted 70 times in the New Testament and quoted by Jesus a number of times, quoted 17 books in the New Testament, we need to respect what happens in human history with God's righteousness. And he judged these people. These people were evil. These were so evil. These people were so evil that they were, they were done with the Lord. There was no redeeming them, just like the world before the flood. There was no redeeming them. And so God wiped them out. It was God's judgment, not man's judgment upon them, but God's judgment. And you know, we're reminded yet again that God is going to judge this world. We're told that the wrath of God has been revealed to all upon to all humanity in Romans chapter 1. And we're all under wrath. We're born under wrath. And we need to be saved by the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took the wrath of God upon himself on the cross. And so we can be redeemed through faith in him. 
We're delivered from the wrath when we put our trust in the Son. But if we're not, if the Son's not taking the wrath of God in our place for our sins, then we will bear the wrath of God for our sins in all eternity. And this is the good news. This is the gospel message. And in God's wrath, we have perfect justice too, because there has to be justice. There's so much injustice right now, there has to be justice. And uh, with God being loving in character, he must have his wrath because it brings about justice. And so that's the end of Sihon and Og, and God gave them total victory. But in these victories for Israel, they were a precursor to show them that what God did for them on that side of the river, he would do for them on the other side of the river when they went in to enter into the promised land that God had for them. And even as God said that the dread of Israel would come upon the people of Canaan, so it did. Because of course, when Joshua sent the spies to Jericho, we see that Rahab said, the whole city is terrified of you. We've all heard of you. We're all terrified. And as we mentioned two weeks ago in topical application, God goes before us, and he was going before them. And he did, and he does for us in his church, whatever we're facing. Now, of course, we're not under this covenant. We're not the agents of God's wrath. We're the agents of God's grace. But God's wrath is coming. Revelation 6 says the wrath of the Lamb has come and who is able to stand. So we need to remember that even as we're functioning in grace, that ultimately there's an element, the ultimate element of wrath of God coming upon this planet. And it'd be easy to forget that because we all want to just get along and not have conflict. But the wrath of God is as real today as it ever was even in this time. And we, we can't forget that. I can't forget it. You can't. So now we're reminded in verse 12 of how they settled on that east side of the Jordan, the two and a half tribes. Verse 12, in this land which we possess at the time from Aror, which is by the river Arnon, and the half mountains of Gilead, and its cities I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites. The rest of Gilead, all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to half the tribe of Manasseh. All the regions of Argob, with all Bashan, was called the land of the giants. Jair, the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Argob, as far as the borders of the Gershites and the Machathites, and called Bashan after his own name, Havath Jair, to this day. I also gave Gilead to Mikir and to the Reubenites and the Gadites. I gave from Gilead as far as the river Arnon, the middle of the river as the border, as far as the river Jabbok, the border of the people of Ammon. The plains also at Jordan is the border from Chinnereth, as far as the east side of the Sea of Arba, that is the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea, below the slopes of Pisgah. Then I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All you men of valor shall cross over armed before your brethren, the children of Israel, but your wives, your little ones, and your livestock... I know that you have much livestock, shall stay in your cities, which I've given you, until the Lord has given you rest, until the Lord has given rest to your brethren as to you. And they also possess the land which the Lord your God has given them beyond the Jordan, when each of you turns to his possession, which I've given you. And I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all the Lord your God has done to these two kings. That'd be Sihon and Og, of course. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms through which you pass. You must not fear them, for the Lord your God himself fights for you. So here... Moses is reminding like, no fear. Fear can be so crippling. Fear is an amazing thing. We just were reminded yet again, we cannot be moved by fear. And, and so much of 2020 was people pushing buttons to, to move us to fear. And faith and fear cannot go and have at the same place. It's like light and darkness. So we have to keep pushing toward faith and, and faith in the Lord and who he is faith in his character, faith in his word, faith in his promises, faith in his goodness, faith in his track record in our life. And that's what we need to be moving in. So when we face things that would tempt us to be fearful, like giants, like, no, 
When you come to what you don't know, you fall back on what you do know. And God's got this. God's always had this. And we're singing these songs for 25 minutes with Joe Henschel, these wonderful worship songs. And we're singing them triumphantly. We need to take these anthems of triumph, walk out these doors, and live those songs. So when there's, you know, things that would cause fear, because there's such a spirit of fear still over this planet, you can still feel it, especially when you're traveling, you can just feel it. I want to be respectful and sensitive to other people, but I'm definitely not going to be, I do not want to be living in fear. So you must not fear them, for the Lord your God himself fights for you. And the battle belongs to the Lord. And if we have battles that we lose, God wants to teach us something through losses. I always used to say as a coach, you learn more from defeat than winning. I prefer winning. Winning feels a whole lot better than losing. Amen? But you learn a lot more from losing. And a lot of times, losing is a precursor to great victories. As you used to say, why world of sports, right? The agony of defeat and the thrill of victory. You older people know what I'm talking about there. So we close out the chapter tonight with verse 23 in Moses. Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you've begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? I pray let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account. He would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, Enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Go up on top of Pisgah. Lift up your eyes toward the west, the north, the south, and east. Behold it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. So we stayed in the valley opposite of Beth Peor. So this is pretty much Moses' recounting of the book of Numbers, these three chapters. And the last thing he says is, you know, I'm not going in. And I begged the Lord I would go in. And we see this in the Bible. You know, Paul talked about his thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times that God would take it. God didn't take it. Jesus prayed three times in the garden. But not my will, thy will be done. If there's any other way. And sometimes when we pray, there's a yes, there's a wait, and there's a no. And sometimes there's a definite no. And I've said this many times. No is generally louder than yes. God's no is louder than his yes. And that's all right. Because just like, you know, your parents are like, sure, honey, you can do that. No, no, you are not going with them to that party. That is not going to happen. See the difference between no and yes as a parent? Sure, yeah, you can do that. That sounds like fun. Chuck E. Cheese, the birthday party? Yeah, sure. No, you're not spending the night at those people's house. Uh-uh. Well, my friends get, well, you're not, just because your friends can spend the night there doesn't mean you're going to, no. I said no, right? See how that works? We understand that. Moses, oh, come on, pretty please, please. I know I struck the rock twice. I crucified Jesus twice, basically. A little misunderstanding back there at the, the rock and all. I really want to go. Like, no, and don't ask again. I mean, that's pretty unique, right? Like his parents just said, no, that's the end of it. I speak as a parent, right? When you, no, that's the end of it. Hey, don't ask again. That's the end of it. And God says to Moses, don't ask again. Accept it. That's not going to happen. And that's part of life, right? There's times we have to accept things that aren't going to be what we want. But it's not my will, it's thy will be done. So we just, when he says no, got to accept it. Instead, look at what God's going to do for someone else and be a part of that. God said no to David building the temple. Your son's going to build it. So what did David do? He gave him all of his wealth so Solomon could build it when he was gone. 
was God saying to Moses here, you're not going in, but prepare Joshua who is. That's what we need to focus on. Not what God's not doing for us or through us, but what he wants to do in and through us, even when he says no. So if he says no to this, figure out where the yes is, that whoever is going to get the yes, that we're part of that, right? Isn't it beautiful that David was gone in eternity, but all that wealth he built up was used to build the temple when he was gone? It's a good ending here. Moses says, you know what? God told me, no, it's not going to happen. But he did let me see the land, and he told me what I could do. Prepare Joshua, your successor, who is going to go in. So when God gives you a no, and maybe there's a yes for someone else, rejoice in their yes, and do what we can to prepare them for their yes. Isn't that a good thing? Isn't that an honorable thing? I'm not going to be on this planet in 2050, I don't think. But I want to prepare everyone who's going to be. Like Buck and Caleb tonight. The youngest people in this room, I want to prepare them. Don't look to me in 2000, 2061. Look to Jesus and look to him in 2021 as well. Amen?